Good morning, my name is Dee, and it is a joy to be with you this morning, have the chance to uh, join you in digging into God's Word, into that passage that was just read. That's the one we are looking at this morning. Uh, Before we jump into that particular passage, I would like to take a few moments and mention a prayer request that um, I uh, will include in the prayer time that we have at the end of the message, but my hope is that there will be some of you that will pick up this prayer request and carry it uh, through the week. I know some of you have already been praying. Um, But a few weeks ago, um, I had mentioned a couple prayer requests. One was um, Clarion Sue Kinsler's granddaughter who was having a uh, brain surgery the weekend that I mentioned it um, up in Cedars-Sinai Hospital in L.A. She is doing wonderfully well. There is the hope that Um, this week she'll be able to go home. Still quite a bit of recovery left, but thank you for your prayers regarding that. I also mentioned Ron Kirkamo, who at one point in time was, um, still maybe does some adjunct, I don't know, but uh, professor of history here at uh, Point Loma Nazarene University and has been part of this fellowship for a long time. Um, I mentioned that he had had uh, two operations. The second one was a bit unexpected in that there was an infection that had set in following the first, and I was able to visit him a week and a half ago when they transferred him to a hospital to recover, and it seemed like everything was going great, and I actually thought that his wife, Patty, had brought him home and just found out uh, two days ago that that was not the case, that things had taken a turn for the worse, and... um, He has been for several days on a ventilator. Uh, He's had dialysis three of the last four days. Um, One of the kidneys, I think, has shut down. It is not what they expected at all. Two of his children, the two boys, have flown in to be with them, and uh, daughter's coming in on Wednesday. There are some good signs. The doctors have indicated several things that are positives, that are moving in the right direction. It just was a terrible infection that followed the second surgery and his body was worn down from it and it took its toll. And some of you would know more than I do all of those things and what they indicate. I just know he didn't look good and uh, the statements all sounded pretty ominous to me. I remember um, three weeks ago we had a time of healing both in this service and in the first service. And Ron, in anticipating his surgery, his first one that was coming up at that time, came forward to be anointed with oil. It was a wonderful privilege to pray for him. Prayers are needed every bit as much now as they were back then. And none of this has surprised God or thrown God off. This hasn't uh, taken God off guard at all. But God calls us to bring our petitions to the throne of grace. My hope is that you will be among those who might remember the Kirkamo family in the coming days, that God would give wisdom to the doctors, that God would touch his body and make a difference in his journey. Last week we talked about the power of Scripture and the Word of God. The passage we looked at was Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 which talks about the Word of God being active and alive, sharper than any two-edged sword, much less like a fighting instrument and far more like a surgical instrument. 
able to go in and separate bone from marrow, soul from spirit. So my prayer is that God's healing touch would use that surgical instrument of God's word speaking forth and making a difference in Ron's life. So I hope you'll join me in prayer with that. Um, This passage that I just mentioned in Hebrews and what we're looking at now in Mark um, is a continuation of what's been going on for about a month now. We've been doing a series talking about the core values of our church, the foundation stones that hold us steady, the places where we dig down deep and say these are pillars on which we can build the rest of our journey. They are characteristics as we try and live out being the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the character of God. And so we've talked about a number of things. We spent some time looking at, um, two weeks ago, our mission to lift up Christ. But what does that mean practically? We talked about that a little bit. It's one thing to have a mission statement that you can frame and put on a wall and point to and go, yeah, that's our mission statement. But what does it look like when we live it out? It's part of what we were digging into. We talked about the value not only of Scripture, but of prayer and how important prayer is in our journey and how we want it to be a characteristic of this place. We talked um, about a month ago about a passage that was very similar to this one in a message called Destined for Greatness. And in that message, we talked about God's call to invest in children and youth, that Jesus took a young child, put the child on his lap and described the kingdom in those terms and the calling on our lives to live into the lives of children and youth to protect and be a voice for their safety, their growth, their faith, their development. This passage is very similar to that. It is a passage that talks about the disciples being in that group dynamic stage of storming or chaos when a group kind of begins to fall apart. It's, in some ways, a textbook case, but it's not the kind of way you want your group to be remembered in the textbooks. We've got a couple of disciples who have... Well, it's not that they've gone rogue, they've just missed the whole point. And in missing the whole point, they are vying for position, vying for their place and what they anticipate will be coming power. They're not a powerful group yet, but they're anticipating that's just around the corner. And so the sons of Zebedee, two of the disciples, start talking among themselves, and they're arguing against one another about who's going to get the premier place of power, the best spot. And the others, they hear about it, and they're indignant. They're just ticked off. The other two are jerks, probably because in part they wanted those power positions themselves, but also because they just feel like they're driving their own agenda, but the rest of them, not much different. They've missed the whole point. So Jesus gathers together this group that's in a bit of a chaos, in a bit of chaos, Similar to some groups and teams of which I've been a part. Not here. Previous jobs, previous places. Not here. But when you feel like, is this group going anywhere? Is it going to get anything done? 
I'm not even sure I want to be part of it. And if I'm going to be a part of it, it better be worth my time. Jesus gathers them together like a great leader and addresses the issues. And in essence, he says this. If you don't remember anything else I say the rest of this day or the rest of this week, I hope you remember this. That the one of you who wants to be great needs to be the servant of all. And the room goes silent and the air conditioner goes off and everybody goes, what? (laughs) And just in case you missed it in that awkward moment, those of you who would be great, that's what you want to pay attention to. Here's the pathway. Be the servant of everyone else. That's how this kingdom works. That's the end of the story of that particular topic. That's how good works. It is the way by which the disciples are supposed to conduct themselves And it's ultimately the last chapter of the story. There may be other ways by which change comes come about. There may be other ways by which people push and get their way. But the last chapter that gets written will be an understanding of how this principle comes out on top. That if you want to be great, you'll be servant of all. This isn't all that Jesus says about that. He said earlier in his journey, he said, those of you who break my commandments and teach others to do the same, you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Those of you who keep these commandments and you teach others to do the same, you'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. But unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you won't even be part of the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness taps into the righteousness that comes through forgiveness of Christ, receiving God's grace, until you recognize that the only righteousness you have is through what Christ has done, you're not even part of this movement and direction. So grab hold of that first and then begin to understand that the way by which this comes to pass is to be a servant of others. And the disciples take a deep breath and try and figure out what that might mean for them. Seems to me it's one of those moments where it feels like God's word penetrates like a two-edged sword. It separates soul from spirit and bone from marrow. It knows my thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. It searches me and desires to refine me. The word of the Lord is active. It engages me and pulls out that which is pulling me away from being all that God has called me to be and keeps that which is healthy and wants to grow into my greatest potential and your greatest potential as well. But the call then is to be a servant. We're called to go. The title of this message is Gathered to Go. 
this is not the end of the storyline where we come together at the end of the week and share all of the things that have been difficult and painful and discuss some nice truths and try and give some meaning to what's already happened. If that takes place, that's fine. But this is a gathering time that's intended as a beginning point where we gather together to reflect on God's kingdom and what God is in the midst of doing to be sent. That's one of our foundational values is that we are a sent church. It's wonderful. We do periodically when we get a chance to send people who are moving, going to some other place of the country or they've been called missions and we pray for them as they prepare to go to some other place around the globe. We have a chance to send some people off to school who are preparing for ministry and it's great to talk about being ascending church. But every week we are ascending church when at the benediction we leave this place. It's to take what's here and, and take it out of this place. To, to be Christ in other places. There are some wonderful, powerful, sending passages. There's a sense for me in which they are, they are grandiose. They almost feel like they are bigger than I can wrap my head around. But the truth of the matter is, if we're being obedient to Christ, we're always engaged in things that are bigger than we are. That we can't do it on our own. Because if we can, then we don't need Christ. But Christ calls us into places that are going to require our dependence on God. And so these two sending passages fit those things so beautifully. It'll probably sound very familiar to you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commandments that I have given to you. And I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. The Great Commission. The calling. Not for a select few. Not for one or two people. Not for those who feel called into the ministry. It's for all of us to go and make disciples. Whoever God has placed us. The other is very similar. Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Powerful sending verses. Big, yeah, you bet. Calls us to be dependent on one who is bigger than we are. There's a children's book I've read to you before. I'm not going to read it again, but I, I am haunted by the title. When I look on it on my shelf, right next to commentaries and Bibles and then my children's books that hold a prominent place right there as well, I see this title and I can read it on the edge and it, every time I read it, it catches my attention. <clears throat> it's the story of an adult bear and a baby bear. And each page is filled with this mother bear saying what she is to the baby bear. I'm your protection. I am your uh, swing. All kinds of things. Followed by a sentence of what the baby bear is to her. The things that the baby bear brings into her life. 
The closing line of this is the mother bear declaring that the baby bear is my I love you. You are my I love you. I love that title because it seems to me that that is exactly what God says to every one of us. You, God says, are my I love you to everyone you're going to come in contact with this week. Now I can, God might say, have the rocks cry out. I can have the trees chatter away my praise. But if I do that, it's because my first choice has not lived into their calling. We have not lived in that place where we become God's I love you to everyone else. What a blessed challenge. What a daunting challenge. What a life-giving challenge. And what a hard challenge. Is it possible that we can go overboard and do this too much? Yeah, I, I think it is. I have my... Um, Two shirts here. Every once in a while, I splurge and send out my shirts to get dry cleaned. And I like light starch on them. It just feels just a little, you know, crisp, feels nice. When you do that, it's just the right amount. You can set that up and it just kind of collapses, which is really nice. I mean, you don't want to leave it like that because it's wrinkled, but you can have too much of that so that when you set it, it goes nowhere. This was unintended. Just came home like this. Yeah, it's not collapsing at all. It just is. There's no cardboard in there. There's nothing that's holding that up. That's just too much starch. That's walking around like a stiff cardboard and you can't do anything. Yeah, you can have too much of an attempt and effort or you knock somebody over the head with your Bible and try and preach commandments about their journey and find yourself trying to represent the kingdom out of your own needs instead of out of the other person's need. And when you do that, the message is not really the message of the kingdom. Both ends of this spectrum aren't the greatest. The one just hurts to put that on. It just hurts when the kingdom comes across that way. But the flip side is doing nothing. Nothing. That somehow Sunday morning is just for you or for me. So what does this look like for us? If this is a value that we hold dearly, if being the servant of others is going to take root in our life, how does it show itself? How do we engage? Well, some of you do it regularly. 
some of you are struggling to try and figure out. Some of you, it's not on the radar screen at all. Let me tell you a couple of stories. A woman, two weeks ago, has a husband who walks out on her and is left with a couple of children and a lease on her residence that was intended for two incomes, not one. She's struggling trying to figure out what this looks like now and is frozen with fear and can't make any decisions at all. She finds herself postponing every important decision in the hopes that people won't notice that she can get through this month that she can survive and take care of her two kids. You might meet her this week in Vaughn's parking lot. You likely won't know her story, but you might know a piece of it. I don't know who it might be for you, but my guess is you'll run into her sometime in the next couple weeks. An elderly person living in the neighborhood, whose memory is starting to go and living alone, the world starts to become a rather frightening place because I can't remember the things that I know are important, but I can't remember which things those are. Sounds become more muffled, but because they are more muffled, in some ways they become more alarming. Images that were once so vivid become a little blurry. And this person doesn't know what to do but, but hide, retreat, separate him or herself from other things that were familiar because there's not much left that feels very familiar except the inside of the home. You might meet or see this person this week as you walk in your neighborhood as they come out very briefly to get their mail and go back in. You probably won't know the whole story, but my guess is you'll run into her sometime this week or next. A friend who never fills you in, but has come with the realization as he opens up the bills that these are duplicates that didn't get paid last month, they're probably not going to get paid this month, finds himself at the end of the month just throwing away the duplicates. His interest and enjoyment of fantasy football has now moved far less from being a game and far more into the realm of being gambling in the hopes that Somehow, his fate will be the same as the people who show up on TV that won so much money, have invested so little, and the more he invests, the more he loses, and the more shame he feels, and the more panic he feels. I don't know that you'll know his whole story, but you might run into him sometime this week at a service counter where he tries to upsell you to buying something more or getting something you weren't planning to get and you're all frustrated because you didn't want that product and you're not sure why he's so pushy because you don't know the whole story behind why he's doing what he's doing. 
You might run into him this week. Or the girl who attends the high school and her parents have told her that uh, because things are so tight around the house, she has to get a job. She gets a job and is getting trained at a fast food restaurant. And because of all of the stress at home, it's not going real well at work because there's so much that she has to learn and she's not learning it real well. And the manager, the person who hired her, has called her in and has told her that she really needs to pick up the pace. She needs to get it done right because her performance is lagging behind. And you come to the point of paying your bill and you notice that she hasn't charged you for the extra avocado you ordered. And you know you could get away with it, but you also know that at the end of the day she's going to have to reconcile the cash register. You'll meet her sometime this month. You won't know her whole story. But if the story is about you, you'll miss the whole point. If the rest aren't uncomfortable enough, let me give you one more so all your defense mechanisms will go out and you completely shut down and forget everything I said. There's a Burmese fisherman who unwittingly and unknowingly finds himself in a position where he gets sold to the captain of a ship. He didn't even know he could be sold. The captain of the ship wants to take him out for him to fish for his business, and he refuses. So those that work for the captain beat him up, knock out all his front teeth, and force him onto the boat where he has to live for 20 months. Catching fish for no pay, just for subsistence living on the boat. You'll never meet this man face to face this week, this month, or this year. But when you go to the store and buy food this week, you'll probably see his products. They'll be the cheapest ones on the shelf. And your lives will intersect on opposite sides of the globe. Jesus gathered his disciples 2,000 years ago and he does this morning. He says, I want you to be my church. Not here. I want you to come here. But it's so that you be sent. It's so that there's a chance you might be a light in a dark place. You might be salt, not, not where you dump a truckload of salt on somebody and they feel beat up by it, but that you're the flavor, the taste of love. Because you are my I love you. You're what I'm sending out this week. We've gathered together to look at God's word, to be filled, to be recipients of God's grace. The truth of the matter is, some of these stories you've probably met as you've shaken hands this morning because some of them have shown up this morning here in church. 
You may be one of those. I pray that God sends people into your pathway this morning so that you know you're not alone, so that you know that there is another way by which to think of your future. The people we come into contact with through the week, I just have this deep conviction that the choices people are making, they're making because they think it's the best option they have. As dysfunctional as it might be from your perspective, for that individual, it's not like they are strategizing to do something wrong in almost every case. It is the best choice they think they have of the options that they have. So forget for a moment what you might have done in that setting. You have the chance to be God's message in a moment where light's needed where the flavor of salt could be added, where the kingdom of heaven can come to earth because we're sent. We gather to go. This is the starting point. That's a value of this place. It's a value of the kingdom. And the opportunities this week, enormous. It doesn't matter your resources because this job's bigger than any of us can do anyway. So our resources are in Christ. We lean in that direction, say, Lord, help me to do whatever I can with what I have. Help me to learn what it means to be the servant of all. That's our calling. That's our privilege. That's the joy of coming together. Because I have the sense that you've prayed for me this morning or Prayed for somebody beside you this morning. I come because I get a chance to talk with you about Scripture and hear your thoughts before church, after church, in Sunday school, wherever it might be. We grow together, but then we grow to go. We come to leave. We gather to be sent. That's what we believe about our faith. Father, this morning... Thank you for the privilege of gathering. Thank you for prayers that have been offered up. For those of us, Lord, this morning, who do feel all alone, Lord, help that not to be the closing story of this day. Help an ever so brief conversation or a handshake or a greeting to somehow touch something inside of us so that we don't feel alone anymore. For some of us, Lord, this morning requires confession. Confession for how we have missed the whole point. Confession for how we have Bide for our own storyline <laughs> where we have um, asked what's in it for me or how do I keep on to what I have and get some more. <laughs> Confession, Lord, that we have not looked in our weeks and in our days for the person who stands right across from us. 
who has a story that leads them to where they are right now. Oh, God. May we be sent this morning. May the challenge of this powerful passage change our week. Help us to find joy in the journey. Anticipation in seeing what's out there. And knowing that you just call us to sprinkle the salt and add the flavor of the kingdom wherever we are. We need your courage, because ours is not enough. We need your wisdom, because ours is going to fall short. We need your help. We likewise, Lord, pray for people like Ron Kirkamo and his family. Given the opportunity, Lord, help us to be a voice into their life of restoration, renewal, and peace. Touch his life, Lord, his body. Renew it. Breathe life back into it in a healing way. So, Lord, as we sing, let your words sink deep into our heart. Help us to reflect deeply on what it means to be called this week. Let this be our value, individually and collectively, we pray. Amen.